Hey, good evening, everybody. Yeah, I'm thankful to be part of this study, Psalm 119. And um, I wanted to start by introducing you to someone who we worked with from Liberia. His name is Jeremiah. And I'll have a couple pictures of him up here uh, so you can see. So this is a picture when we first kind of got to Liberia. Uh, Bruce said we were serving there. He's the guy in the red shirt. Uh, he's from a tribe in the northern part of Liberia, and uh, he is one of the most pagan people that you would ever want to meet. Um, if I had the time to, it doesn't look like it in that picture, but <laughs> uh, if I had the time to share his whole story with you, um, it would just be amazing. But I, let me tell you the cliff notes as we get started. Um, I met Jeremiah when we were building a house, and in Liberia, you can't just go down to the rock quarry or the Home Depot and get your rock or your cement, call the cement truck. You, uh, you dig up your sand in the river and you bring it to the house. You dig up big rocks and you make them into small rocks uh, just so you can mix it together to make your cement. And that was Jeremiah's job, to make big rocks into little rocks. And uh, he did it all day sitting on a rock with a hammer in his hand and just doing this all day long. Um, kind of like the Flintstones cartoon, except in real life. And um, he had multiple wives. He wasn't with the wife that he, he wasn't living with any of his wives, um, go drinking and all kinds of stuff. And he would work with us. And every day as we were working, we would have Bible study with all the guys. Uh, and we would just challenge them. And when we started building the house, we would sit over here having the Bible study at lunchtime. You have to feed everybody that works with you. And Jeremiah would sit way over here with his lunch. Uh, and he would listen because he had to listen because we, we made everybody come. Um, but he was listening. And then over the months or weeks, months, yeah, he would move a little bit closer. Kind of still sitting here looking over here. And, and he would move a little bit closer until finally he was sitting with us. And we would go over the gospel, we would go over the gospel, go over the gospel, and he would come and he would say, Stephen, I'm, <clears throat> I think I'm, I'm ready to become a Christian. And, uh, and we would just say, Jeremiah, that's not for you. You don't need to be a Christian. You love dancing too much, you love drinking too much, you love the women business too much. You really don't want to be a Christian. Okay, another week or two would go by, he would come and he would say, Stephen, I, I, think, I think I want to be a Christian. And we'd say, Jeremiah, no, you don't. You know, being a Christian, this is, this, is the, this is the white man's thing. You go and do your thing. Really good evangelism technique, right? <laughs> and, and so over the time, we had Bible study with him. And he said, you know, I, as we were going through uh, what we were talking about that day, uh, he was talking and sharing. And we looked at him and said, Jeremiah, do you want to become a Christian? And then one of the Liberian men kind of shared the gospel with him again and led him to the Lord that day. And the work, the transformative work that God did in this man's life is proof that the word of God changes your heart. And that's really our focus for tonight. This, this man, again, who was the, one of the most pagan people that you would see, five or six wives, became a believer, tried to make things right, uh, had, he still had problems in life, right? Had issues of buying land, he lived in a mud hut, he was the strongest guy you would ever want to know, and then he got cancer, and all his strength was taken away. And then he, he got better a little bit, <laughs> uh, and then he got pneumonia, ulcers, malaria, and finally 
passed away. The word of God changed Jeremiah's heart. You know, Jeremiah developed a deep love for the word of God. He valued it almost over everything else, but his circumstances never changed. He died with no money. His body was weak, ravaged by cancer and malaria. He had been born in this small village, lived in a mud hut, and he died in a medium village in a mud hut. But now he's face to face with Jesus. All because the word of God changed his heart. Even though his circumstances never changed, the word of God pointed Jeremiah to Jesus and Jesus became his king. So as I prepared for tonight, Jeremiah kept coming to my mind and I thought, why in the world is Jeremiah, not the book, but the person, um, keep coming to my mind? And then as I kind of meditated on the Psalms, I, I think I realized why. See, Jeremiah's story isn't too different from those who compiled the book of Psalms or the psalmist who wrote Psalm 119. Can I share some thoughts and explain why for a minute? See, when you look at the very beginning of the book of Psalms, we're taught that the one who walks the path of righteousness and meditates on the word of God is blessed. The person that's chosen by the Lord will be fruitful. Then in Psalm 2, we're told about this coming king that the world hates. The the, the world hates so much that they're going to fight against him. And his kingdom and his people will be fought against. But God is on his side, right? His anointed will rule forever. That's Jesus. We can't, as you look at Psalm 1 and 2, the idea that we come away with is that those who love and meditate on the word of God will be blessed and will be drawn towards this promised king who will one day come. And that sets the tone for the entire book of Psalms. As you look through every page, it's pointing you to this promised king and his kingdom and his people. So knowing that reality, when we look at the entire book of Psalms, it's this inspired hymn book that points us to um, this Messiah who will come, the Christ. So as you look at the Psalms, um, we have this reminder of God's plan, the way of the righteous and the victory of the Lord's anointed over the nations, right? So what what I wanted to do right now is take a minute and zoom out like 30,000 feet And then we're going to dive down to Psalm 119, verse 97 in just a minute. But I think helping us understand the overall flow of the book is going to help highlight some really important aspects of the Psalms that we're reading tonight. So while each Psalm could stand alone, uh, they weren't compiled as like 151 hit wonders. Uh, They were compiled as this anthology of the Lord, of, of hymns or songs pointing towards the Lord, Lord's anointed. And um, so I hope having that background is helpful. Um, if, as you've read through the Psalms in your life, you've noticed there's five books, right? We're in the fifth book, Psalm 119. Um, and every book highlights a certain aspect of Israel's history. It kind of points to certain circumstances in Israel's history. Book one talks about God rescuing his king from his enemies. Book two highlights God rescues his people from their enemies through the king, King David. Book three kind of turns 
to a time of darkness in Israel's history during their captivity when there's no king on the throne. So the theme of that book would be how could God abandon his king and his people? When you get to book four, it reflects on the time of the exile and the theme could be God is still king over the world even though we're in exile. And then you come to book five where we are tonight and the writers that compiled everything are reminding us and encouraging God's people to remember that God's promises to David are not dead. So we're to have hope in the son of David who was yet to come. Okay, so now we're living on the other side of the cross and we know who that son of David was. But as we reflect on the Psalms, we should be asking ourselves the same question. Is the king foretold in the book of Psalms your king? Because the Psalms are pointing to him. If he is, then you can boldly proclaim with the psalmist, right? The one of the last verses, let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. If he's your king, you could say that. So like the psalmist, my friend Jeremiah also became captivated by the word. And he experienced that if we meditate on God's word, on God's law, we will be blessed. He came to the same conclusion that the psalmist came to, that the laws and the testimonies and the precepts and the word of the Lord are his king's laws, precepts, statutes. And those who love and obey the word are also those who love and follow the king. Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak. We're all here on Thursday night for a Bible study. Um, but this fall study, I think, is, is super important to each one of us as men, particularly. Is Psalm 119, each week we're being presented with the reality that the word of God is calling us to remember that God's promises to David, God's promises in the Bible, he keeps his promises. They will be fulfilled. There's a reality there. God is not dead. His promises are not dead. We're to have hope in our king, the son of David, who is to come and in fact has already come. So each time you open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, you should ask yourself this question. Is the king that the Psalms is pointing me towards my king? Every Psalm can point you in that direction. So with that perspective in mind, um, we're going to be looking starting in verse 97 of Psalm 119. And as you're turning there or powering on your phone, um, what am I saying? Your phone never turns off, right? (laughs) If it's like one of my phones, it's always on. So uh, turn over to 119, verse 97. Um, For those of you who've been part of our study, it's no surprise that every verse we look at tonight is going to highlight the word of God in some way, right? We're going to read 24 verses, and every single verse is going to tell us something about the word of God. So as we come to this first stanza, this first set of verses, um, the emphasis we're going to see is that the love and wisdom Uh, the love and wisdom of the word. So we're gonna see that highlighted, but there's a question that we need to answer. Okay, a question posed by us, the reader, is, is love all you need? So we're gonna see the psalmist answer this question. So yes, love is a great part of our lives, right? But apparently the Beatles did leave us astray a bit uh, because according to the psalmist, love isn't all we need. We need love, wisdom, and a little bit of hate. I know what you're saying. Turn his microphone off. He's a heretic. Get him off the platform. But bear with me. 
and I think it'll be interesting to see what the psalmist has to say. So let's look at verse 97 together. And, uh, you know, we've, we've eaten, we've fed on the pizza. Now as we get ready to feed on God's word, can we stand up a bit and kind of re- reorientate uh, the food we've already digested uh, so we can prepare ourselves for the word. So let's read together, uh, starting in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. So this stanza is filled with joy and a love for God's law. If you'll notice, no requests are made, um, only statements that express praise to the Lord for his word and his wisdom. Now, how did the psalmist get here? That's a question I always ask. Like, like why why is this different than the psalm right before this, than the verse or stanza right before this? He didn't just wake up one day and just say, you know what, I love the word. It, it, it was a development in his life. If you remember last week, the psalmist's tone um, tonight is quite different than the last two stanzas that you looked at. In verses 81 through 88, the tone was one of despair. He said, my soul longs for your salvation. Will you comfort me? How long must your servant endure? Pretty low point in the psalmist's life and and circumstances. Then in verse 89 through 96 that you looked at, the tone kind of shifts from despair to confidence. When he says, your word is fixed in the heavens, your faithfulness endures to generations. Okay, the, the psalmist's tone has developed, it has grown. What's caused that tone to, to change? Well, I doubt the circumstances in his life have changed. Because verse 95 said that the wicked still lie in wait to destroy him. He's got people waiting around the corner ready to jump him. Now that he, but now that he's focusing on God's word, um, life still isn't all bread and butter. In Liberia, that's what he used to say. If you were living the good life, life is bread and butter. Um, life wasn't bread and butter for him, I don't think. He's not living the high life of prosperity here. But even though his circumstances haven't changed, God's word is doing a work in his heart. And you can see that progression even through the Psalms. And this confidence in the Lord and his word swells up and eventually explodes in this statement in verse 97. Now, imagine that you, those of you who are married, hopefully this was the case for you. (laughs) Um, You're on your wedding day, you're ready to see your bride and you're just excited Okay, I want you to read verse 97 with me with the excitement with which you had that day. And if you're not married, pretend that you are and pretend that you're excited about it. All right, so let's let's read it with the same affection that you would hopefully share with your wife, right? Verse 97, with excitement. Okay, ready? Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. I'm not gonna tell your wives. 
based on some of y'all read that verse. No, I'm just joking. Um, but that's the excitement I think that the psalmist is giving here. Like it's hard to even put into words what kind of excitement I think he's expressing. The love that's expressed here is that this, it's this intimate, special kind of love. God uses the same word in Genesis 22 when he says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. How many of you have a son? Okay, what kind of love do you love him with? It's the same kind of love that Leah uses when talking about the love of her husband in Genesis 29. And and then God uses that same word to describe his love for Israel in Deuteronomy 10 when he says, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers. So you look at the psalmist, evil is still impacting him, right? He's severely afflicted, circumstances really haven't changed, but the word of God has changed his heart, even though his circumstances haven't changed. And that's really the main idea for this, for this stanza and really this, these whole three stanzas that we're going to look at tonight. The word of God changes the heart even when your circumstances stay the same. It, the reality was true for the psalmist and I think it's true for us as well. Through study and meditation on the word of God, our despair is turned to joy. Our doubts are turned to confidence. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you're being faithful to the Lord, you're in the word every day, you're growing, uh, you're experiencing this spiritual renewal and intimacy with the Lord, but the crummy, hard, difficult, unfortunate circumstances of your life, they're just not changing. I know I've experienced that. Life is hard the extensive effects of sin will continue to surround us until we're at home with Jesus. But one of the truths the psalmist wants us to understand is that even though your circumstances may not ever change, maybe there's been a divorce, maybe your work situation is difficult, maybe your finances are a wreck, maybe there's, there's bullying of something you know, with your kids or teenagers or even at the office, Don't let those circumstances of life rob you of joy. And the psalmist is, I think, illustrating that. Through a love for the word, we're given joy. A heart changed by the word of God brings us true joy. It gives us genuine love and it leads us to real wisdom. So I want to share a few thoughts about this little stanza uh, before we move on to the next one. And I think you may have some of the ideas there on your handout Um, I think that reinforces this idea that a heart changed by the word of God brings joy and that our hearts, God changes our hearts even though our circumstances don't change. In verses 97 through 104, the psalmist shares a few reasons why he's learned to love God's law. And I thought that they would be um, impactful. Why Why we should love it too. Now, if you would let me be like kind of a nerd for a moment, Um, which might be all the time, I don't know, but at least for the next minute. Um, If you were to read, if you look in your Bible, do you see how everything's broken up into like two lines? Like you've been looking at it for the whole study now, pretty much probably in in our English Bibles, it's always broken up into these couplets, these two lines. Well, when you're reading Hebrew, there's a little tool that you use to kind of understand why that's like that. And it's this phrase called A, what's more B? 
you think that doesn't make any sense, right? Um, line A and then B. So the second line is usually always there to intensify the first line. So if you're looking at those two lines, uh, look at verse 97. Oh, how I love, was that 97? Yeah. Oh, how I love your law. That's line A. That's a statement being made. Statement B is meant to amplify or explain or intensify that. Oh, how I love your law, line B. It is my meditation all day. That's how much I love the law. And you can do that throughout every single stanza in Psalm 119, for the most part. So um, just as you're reading through it, that's kind of why it's there. It's the way Hebrew poetry is written. Um, so as we're going through this, I think you'll see it almost explains itself as you're looking verse by verse. But why should we love God's law? Well, verse 98, 99, and 100 give us the idea that it's, it's the source of true wisdom. The psalmist has become wiser than his enemies. Verse 98 tells you that. He's gained more understanding than his teachers. Verse 99 has shared that. He, he possesses more wisdom than the wise of this world, verse 100. Now, the psalmist isn't like being all proud and saying like, well, because I've got my Bible, I don't need anybody to teach me. Um, I've been in, in circles like that, and it's probably not from a place of humility that they're, that they're speaking. Uh, but the psalmist here is just saying that he, he's comparing the richness of God's word that you have in front of you to the standards of the world. And compared with those standards, he doesn't... He's wiser than his enemies. He has more understanding than his teachers. He possesses more wisdom than the wise of the world. You know, Jeremiah echoes this later in chapter 9 when Jer- Jeremiah says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast, uh, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and he knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. So is it wrong to boast in your understanding of God's word? Doesn't seem so, but I guess there's a line that you shouldn't cross. Um, But in the psalmist here, we see this humble, holy pride that comes from sitting under the teaching of the word and having the word as our tutor and our schoolmaster. So as the psalmist submits to the word of God, he finds out that he's been made wiser than even the teachers of the world. So the spiritual wisdom revealed to us in the word is far superior than the wisdom of the world. It's another reason we should love, love the word. Why should we love the word? Because it keeps us on the right path and off the wrong ones. We're gonna talk about walking a little bit later. Um, he's able to avoid stumbling into sin. He's, he's gained the ability to maintain faithfulness to the word and its instructions. Um, Why should we love the word? When we study it, we have God himself as our teacher. Then in, why should we love the word? It's sweeter, it's sweet to our spiritual taste like honey. You know, it's reminiscent of Psalm, was it 19, I think. Now, I've listened to some people that have, um, I'm gonna give you kind of a secondhand story. This isn't my story, but I thought it was good. Um, And we should, I should have asked the Silvers why they were here if this was, if they've experienced this, but um, an acquaintance of mine spends a lot of time in <clears throat> Israel, and he was able to go to some of the sm- the younger, like kind of what you'd call an elementary kind of grade school in the rabbinic tradition. And when he walked in, the rabbi was sitting there, and all these kids were sitting around him, 
and they passed out a little piece of paper to every kid and he went around with this little thing of honey and he put a drop of honey on all of, of this little paper. And then the rabbi would sit there and says, this is what God tastes like. And then put the honey in your mouth. Sweeter than honey, even the drippings of the honeycomb. Or in Psalm 119, your word is sweet to our spiritual taste. It's like honey. So those kids grow up with this understanding of what what is God like? He's sweet. What's God's word like? It's sweet. He's developed a craving for the sweetness of the structure given by the word. And then one other thing on the screen there, it keeps us from evil, causes us to hate every wrong path. So verse 97 started with, oh, how I love your law. And then if you look at verse 104, it ends with hate. So through gaining a true taste for understanding, the psalmist palate is now more sophisticated and and he can't stand the taste of anything that's contrary to God's word. He hates anything that is false. You know, as believers, we're to hate every evil path with as much intensity as we love the word of God. The intensity with which we love the word should cause us to hate every evil with that same intensity. Now, sin should be repulsive to us. Sin should make our skin crawl, but it doesn't. For many of us, sin is probably something that we keep at arm's length, just in case we need it. Men, the closer we are to the Lord, the more full of his word we are, the more our sin will make us sick to our stomach. A friend of ours um, got COVID and uh, you know how you like lose your taste and smell kind of at the beginning, that was a thing. Well, for her, she lost her taste of, of she lost her sense of smell uh, and taste for a bit. And when it came back, you thought, oh, great, now she can smell again. Well, no, now everything that she smells and tastes tastes like garbage. It, it's just, it tastes like rotten, whatever. I don't know what happened to her, but she, she, everything she eats, everything she drinks, just it, it makes her want to throw up. And I thought, man, that's a great illustration. <laughs> that's a great picture of what sin should do to us. Right, when we're, when we're tempted to embrace sin, it should make us want to vomit because we love God's word so much. The sweetness of the word should make everything sinful taste like trash. A growing and passionate love for God's law, for his inspired word, will develop in you a hatred for everything false. Doesn't mean you have to be mean about it, but you can hate it. Be careful. The, if that's true, I believe it is, right? A growing love of God's word will make you hate sin. If that's true, then the opposite has to also be true. A loving, growing passion for sin will make you hate God's word. Be careful. That can happen easier than you think. We're the ones leading our homes, right? We are the ones uh, that are leading our families. And if it happens to us, 
it's probably going to happen to them. Men, we have to be careful. The psalmist is pleading with us to love the word of God. He's given us 176 verses in Psalm 119 to persuade you to love the word. So for these 12 weeks, you've been getting it. We're to love the word so that we're to be pointed to the king. So here's a principle to take home. Um, We need both love and hate in our lives. Now we need to love the word and have a hatred for every evil way. We need both love and hate in our lives. Okay, so that's the first stanza we're gonna look at. The second stanza we're gonna look at tells us that life giving, tells us about life giving clarity, right? It focuses on the life giving clarity of the word of God. Okay, the first stanza talked about love and wisdom of God. This is gonna talk about the clarity of the word of God. All right, when God calls us to walk the line. Okay, and no, Johnny Cash is not the psalmist. If you were wondering, if you don't understand who that is, talk to someone older than you are and they'll explain it. <clears throat> this stanza, it, it, it brings up this concept of walking that we're gonna see uh, come back again in the third stanza. Uh, let's look at verse uh, 105 to 112. And you can read, read it out loud with me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it. To keep your righteous rules, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of peace, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now verse 105 begins by painting this picture that we can all relate to, right? Walking around in the dark and then turning the light on and realizing how much easier you can see with the light on. Here's another example of that A, what's more B idea. Your word is a lamp to my feet, right? It gives light to a specific area. Your word is a light to my path. It gives light to a very broad area. When we lived in Liberia, I carried a flashlight with me everywhere I went. You know why? Well, there's no power in Liberia, so you you either have to have a flashlight or solar panels or something, but also... Uh, snakes live in Liberia. When we moved to Ohio, one of the first things I asked people were like, what kind of snakes live here? Um, Because I used to live with spitting cobras, black cobras, green mambas, black mambas, pit vipers. Um, Those were all in our yard. You know, we just hung out together. Um, Every door in my house had a machete next to it. And uh, you never went anywhere without your flashlight. So when I came to Ohio, I was like, all right, what kind of like nasty stuff do y'all have? I don't think you have any snakes. I don't think I've seen any. They all, live, they all migrated to Africa, I guess, because they're not here. So I was walking one night and I had my flashlight, but okay, a flashlight. I, and we had like, like nice flashlights, like with the big nuclear batteries in them that are like really, really bright but I was holding it out here so I could see down the path. And as I was walking, 
I tripped over something. It was a cassava snake, which is a, it's a pit viper. Very, very deadly. One bite, it's one of the, what they call a two-step snake. Two steps and then you're dead. So I tripped over it. Now it had just eaten something, so it was kind of fat and it wasn't in the mood to move around. But I didn't see it because I was looking out in the distance. Even though I had my little lamp, it wasn't bright enough to really expose the dangers that we were walking through. And as I was reading through those verses early, I can't help but wonder if the psalmist had those nights as Israel journeyed through the wilderness in mind. Because when they were journeying through the wilderness, you might remember during the day, what did they have leading them? Cloud, right? But then during the night, that cloud erupted into fire and was truly a light to their path. Everywhere Israel went in the wilderness, it was well lit, exposing all the dangers. And as long as they followed that light, they were safe. If they had chosen not to follow it, then that wouldn't have been very smart. But as long as the Israelites followed that light, every step was clear. And I think that's, the, that's what the psalmist is presenting to us here. This is a wonderful picture of God's glorious word going before us, illuminating our way, giving us clarity to know where to go and how to walk with no doubts. Right? God's word directs our steps during the day and it illuminates our paths as we walk in the darkness. It's a lamp to our feet. It teaches us. It trains us as we take our next steps. It's a light to our path. It's that broader light that it warns us of the dangers ahead. And it rebukes us and corrects us if we, so that we don't fall into error. You know, I think Paul used this for a proof text when he was writing 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The word of God is for teaching, correction, reproof, instruction. There's a bit of overlap there. But men, if we're going to walk in the right path and we're going to avoid the wrong paths, we need both teaching and instruction. We need both rebuking and correction. That's why the, the discipleship groups and the connect groups and coming here to men's group are so important because we can look each other in the eye and say, brother, you're in sin. Or brother, you, I need to encourage you. Or man, I, I'm concerned about this or I'm praying for you. We need to hold each other accountable just like the word of God is holding us accountable, exposing those areas of our life. <clears throat> So as we think about that idea, let me give you some other thoughts. Again, you can think about later that the, the psalmist brings out. Uh, we could be here all night going every, through every verse. I was telling Rick Colelli, like, I really like to like, squeeze every verse for every drop of water I can get. But if we did that, we'd be here till next week. So we're going to really try not to do that. Um, but as I was going through, I'm like, man, I, I can't leave this out. This is so good. And... Um, so I hope when you study God's word, you get kind of pumped up like that too. And uh, that's the effect that it should have on all of us. But so the psalmist here, he's teaching us about God's righteous rules, righteous decrees that light our path. So he tells us that keeping God's decrees will enable these things in our life. And I think I gave them to you there on your sheet. They will enable us to live a life pleasing to God. Right, as the Bible sheds light in our path, it exposes wrong kind of dangerous ways, we can avoid them. Now, some people think that reading the Bible 
will give them some kind of detailed instructions about what job they should take or who they should marry or where they should live or where they should go on vacation. If you're debating on getting married and you close your Bible and then you open it and do this and it says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Um, I totally believe in the sovereignty of God and he could have been holding your finger right there, but that's probably not the best way to make decisions. That's not how the Bible works. The Bible doesn't offer any, any like special mystical leading. It merely unfolds the kind of character that a Christian should have and shows us the priorities that should govern our thinking as believers. It's the light for our path, right? There's no other source that can provide that kind of guidance for us. So it, it, it gives us the ability to live a life pleasing to God. It helps us understand true righteousness. It, We get a divine perspective on suffering. It uh, possesses a right understanding of worship. Okay, let me stop there for a second. Praising God with our mouths and being taught by his word. Um, In verse 108, these things belong together. And I'm so thankful for a church where we can regularly praise God with our mouths. And we're regularly taught the word. And I'm so thankful. I don't, he's not here tonight, I don't think. But I'm so thankful for Sean Colelli, um, and how careful he is about selecting music. Because I, <clears throat> he didn't tell me this. And I hope I'm not putting words in his mouth. His dad's here. He'll rebuke me if I am. Um, I think Sean's desire is to not just sing the music. He wants to sing the preaching. He wants the, the songs that we sing to preach. That's why they're, they're, they're impregnated with the word of God. They're full of God's word. Because you know what? As awesome as Butch and Bruce are on Sunday, and as much as, as they hit a home run and we're listening and are blessed by the word of God, when most of us leave, we're not singing their outline. But we are singing this, the songs that we sang. So that's part of, part of worship is, is that blending of music and the word, singing, the preaching. I'm so thankful for a church that does that. Um, gain, gain victory in suffering. Uh, have a heritage that lasts forever. These are all things that, that the word of God does for us. That stanza ends with this statement of fierce determination. My heart is set on keeping your decrees forever to the very end. The psalmist wants us to keep God's decrees because he will, we will be able to then live a God-pleasing life, understand the nature of true righteousness, and do all those things that we just talked about. Right? There's no special training that we need to understand the word. No ordination is required. When I got ordained, I didn't all of a sudden like have this understanding you know, that, that fell on me. I probably realized how much I didn't know. After going through all that, I felt really stupid. Um, But they ordained me anyway. So (laughs) you don't have to be a clergyman or a pastor to discern with. All all, all you need is the spirit of God within you. The same spirit of God that Bruce has and that Butch have, that I have, you have. And we can understand the scriptures. So there's a principle to take home. And we'll look at our last stanza together. If we're to walk as God wants us to walk, we have to be able to see with clarity. 
If we're to walk the way God wants us to walk, we have to be able to see clearly. Now, we can only see the, the right path if the word of God is shining on it. So the Bible teaches us the way we should go, and the Bible alone is the right way to see clearly. So let's look at the last stanza together. Okay, so the first stanza called us to love the wisdom of God. The second stanza called us to walk this way, or walk the line, excuse me. It pointed to the the path that's illumined by the word of God. Now the psalmist is gonna instruct us about the importance of being determined in our walk. As he says, walk this way. Now, have you ever noticed in movies how some, some people walk? So how someone walks can tell you a lot about them. How, how do heroes walk? Chest out, very tall. Uh, if you're a hero, they grow, they grow a few inches. Uh, in the movies, like very tall, very proud, very confident. Um, how does a beautiful woman walk in a lot of movies? They kind of glide. I can't glide, I'm sorry. <laughs> they kind of glide and float, you know, across the, the scene. How, how do villains walk? kind of creep and lurk and they have hunchbacks and they kind of stay in the shadows, sleeking around, creeping along. Well, how should a Christian walk? Ephesians 4 tells us we're to walk worthy. Isaiah 57 says we're to walk uprightly. 1 John 1 tells us we're to walk in the light. Micah 6 tells us we're to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before God or with your God. So the psalmist is saying, you know what? We live in a fallen world. It's plagued by sin. How are we gonna follow, the, how are we gonna follow and obey God's law? How are we gonna love the word? How are we gonna desire our king? How are we gonna see with clarity? How are we gonna walk in a manner worthy? Well, in verse 113, he says, we're to be determined to obey it. Be determined to obey God's law. Look at verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You're my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep your commandments of my God. You're never gonna obey God's law unless from the very beginning you're determined to do it. That's our starting point. You know, we just make a decision to just do it. How many of you have seen the Bob Newhart skit where he says, like, the, the, just stop it? You guys seen that? Yeah, that's hilarious. It's kind of the same mentality. Like, just stop it. <laughs> just do it. Okay, it's not the Nike endorsement, but it's a, a determination. That's a starting point. We have to be determined to do it. It seems like a non-answer right now. We'll just do it and praise Jesus. He'll give you the strength. But how do I live my life in a way that honors the Lord? Well, we are determined to do it. Verse 113, uh, I'd like us to do something at the end. So I'm trying to, I will try to save some time for that. So I might... Um, move along with some things. Verse 113 points out, I think, an important key that gives us some insight that I want to take the time to look at. The phrase double-minded is also used in 1 Kings 18 when Elijah's on Mount um, Carmel and and he's challenging the people of Israel to follow Jehovah instead of Baal. And it it means to be of two opinions. You double-minded people, you're of two opinions. How long will you be of two opinions, he says to those priests. If, if the Lord is God, follow him, right? He's talking to the people of Israel. If the Lord, if the Lord is him, follow him. If Baal is, is God, then follow him. 
Double-minded people are those people who know about God but are not fully determined to worship him, to serve him. They, they are those who want both God and the world. They, they want the benefits of true religion, but they want to keep their sin on the side too. Those are the double-minded people that the psalmist is talking about. I hate the double-minded people, but I love your law. Kind of takes us back to the idea in the stanza before that we're to love, have a love for God's word and a hatred for the faults. The psalmist hates them as much as he loves God's law. Now, being a sinner myself, I can pretty confidently say that the psalmist is also saying how he hates those tendencies of his own. I hate when I'm double-minded, but I still love God's law. Do you hate when you're double-minded? I hope so. Why else would the psalmist keep coming back throughout these passages and, and, and saying, God, God, keep me according to your promises and up, uphold me so that I might be kept from sin? Our tendency is to lean towards sin. So the psalmist is saying, guys, stay close to God's word. I hate it when I'm double-minded, but I love your law. Men, we need help, right? I mean, that's one reason why we're here, this mutual edification, mutual encouragement. But that's why the, the psalmist reminds us that God alone is our hiding place, right? He alone is our shield. One last thing before we move on. In verse 115, do you see that? It says, depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. This is a really cool picture that I don't want you to miss. Um, some of you might be struggling to hold on to God. Life is hard. It's, it's hard to be consistent, to be faithful as a believer. Some of us might be struggling to hold on to God, to be determined. This picture he gives us here in Psalm 119, verse 115, is the only time in the, in the Psalms that this phrase is used, my God. And it gives us really cool illustration. The psalmist, it's this illustration of this. The psalmist has his hand firmly gripping God's hand, but God also has his hand firmly gripping the psalmist's. It's not a one-sided grip. My, my daughters, like, they do not know how to hold hands. <laughs> um, whenever I hold my daughter's hand and I'm walking, she, she doesn't grip my hand. She just like has her hand there. It's like holding a stick. You know, it's just there. Um, and it's really hard to hold her hand and walk around that way because it just feels weird. Um, that's not like our relationship with God. He's not saying, well, you know, Rich, if you want to hold my hand, there it is, hold on to it. No, he has you in his grip. He is holding you tightly. And that's the picture we see there in the verse. The psalmist is desperately holding on to God. You are my God. And God is saying, yeah, and you're my son. And he's holding desperately onto you. Such a cool picture. Don't ever forget that. God has his hand holding you. You have a couple other things to fill out there on your sheet. Um, if, you're a, if you're a filler, I mean, I'll give you the answers to those. But um, the psalmist tells us to, in order to be determined, we're to pray for grace. We always have to look to God, right? We constantly need him. 
And then verse 1 through 18 and 120, I really wanted to show you this. This we're to stand in awe of God. If you look at the very last verse, 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. As you come to these last three verses of this passage, the psalmist's words are, reflect a reordered view of the world. No doubt, their, their response to his time in prayer. He realizes his inability to obey God's law, as all of us do. He, is, he sought God's help, as all of us must do. And now, having spent time with the Lord and seeing how just vain the world is, And how great God is, he closes with this statement, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I'm afraid of your judgments. Have you ever had an opportunity that you're standing before and you're just kind of shaking because you're either really excited or you're just really nervous? I think that's, not nervous because like people are watching, but nervous because of your own inadequacy. I think that's kind of where the psalmist is right here. That's the kind, that's what he's saying. He's not afraid of the punishment from the Lord. Having spent so much time with God, he trembles because how he understands how great God is and how inadequate he is. Men, if we don't tremble before God, then the siren calls of the world are gonna be very tempting. As we read verse 120 here, we need to read it carefully. He says, I am afraid of your judgments. It means that we're to stand in awe of God. We're to have a reverent awe of God. We're to be paralyzed by his greatness. Again, I ask you, when you read the word of God, does it paralyze you because of how amazing God is? Do you sometimes just sit there and think, like, I just can't even think because I'm so overwhelmed by the fact that this transcendent God that doesn't need anything wants a relationship with you. That's amazing. So that should be our default, okay? I've been with God and he's so amazing that all this stuff of the world just doesn't even catch my attention anymore. So kind of a main idea for this last section and then I want you to take at least a couple minutes to do something at your tables. If we're to walk the way God wants us to walk, we have to be determined to do it. Um, It's not going to happen by accident, right? We have to be determined to do it. We have to pray for grace and we have to have this awe of God. So the word of God changes the heart even when our circumstances stay the same. Okay, knowing this helps us to love the wisdom of God, helps us to see our path clearly and walk with a worthy determination, kind of to summarize everything that I've shared with you tonight. Now we move on to kind of the application And this is what I really want your help with. Um, I would love your help. I put something on the table. I didn't put it there. I asked someone to put it on the table. There's like a little grid. Um, That's an application grid. And if you look at it, I think there's one or two on each table. On the left-hand side are those points. Um, We're to love God and hate the world. We are to... um, see our path clear, clearly so we don't stumble. Do you see those spots? Uh, I think you have it up on the screen probably too. And we're to walk worthy. And then you see the words at the top of the screen, uh, salvation, Christ, church, family, um, marriage, your local church, culture issues. 
Well, this is an application grid. So what I'd love for you to do at your table, pick one of those points, just one, maybe the one that you would be most interested in. Like if you picked love the wisdom of God and hate every evil path, then I want you to pick one of the top ones, um, marriage, family, and gender. Okay, how would you apply that principle in that specific area of your life? And like discuss that as a group. Because I know when I'm preparing to preach, I think through all these things because those are all the different types of needs and issues you have in a church. And there's probably more. You could make up your own category if you want. But try to do one of those in the next five, seven, eight minutes together and kind of just workshop what would be a good application for that principle. What would be an application for be determined to walk worthy in um, the work environment? And on the back of that sheet, there's a definition of each of those categories if you need some help with that. So if you guys could, we'll take five, eight minutes to do that and work on a little bit of application together. And then uh, we'll kind of pull everybody back together and wrap up. So appreciate your help with that. All right, as I was walking around, I heard some really neat conversations. I really hate to stop you. Um, but I'm going to do it anyway. So... <laughs> Um, as you look through this, just to kind of give you a heads up, as you're preparing, um, and I think Butch and Bruce would, or you could ask Bruce here, I think that he would probably agree that I've found that when you're preparing a message, whether it's a lesson or a sermon, when you come to application, it's like the hardest part because everybody in here has a different background, a different walk, a different place with the Lord, and you've got to take a, a principle that is applicable to all of our lives and, and make it applicable, sorry, not to double use the word there. So what the, the sign of the task I just gave you to do, hopefully I explained it okay. Uh, some people, I probably didn't explain it quite well enough because I clarified with a few people. Um, gave you a little bit of that just exercise of like how, how would this work out if I was talking with someone that was uh, in a pro-abortion clinic, how does, that, how does that work with loving the word and hating wickedness? Like, how do you apply that, right? How do you apply um, living according to God's word as a light to your path in the context of a, a woke or LGBTQ community? Like, how does that work? How would you apply that truth so that the person you're talking to is also pointed to the king, right? It's, it's a, there's a ton of different applications. Uh, give you a few thoughts and then um, if you, uh, I heard some of the tables coming up with some really neat stuff uh, after we're done, I'd love to, if you have one, you're like, oh, this is really good, cool, I'd really love to hear it and, uh, and just share it. Does, do we have one or two, and we have the microphone here, that your table was like, yeah, this, like, we really th think this is, okay, I'm not saying this because you're proud, and like, yeah, we're the best, um, but like, yeah, we, we did okay, like, this would be a good application. Anybody have one that they want to share? Okay, thank you. Next. <laughs> But I say, I see that hand, but I don't, but I don't see it. <laughs> All right, well, I'll put my hand up. All right, so, um, okay, so, so how should we respond is what we should ask ourselves. Um, well, the original audience, the, the author wanted them to respond by remembering God's promises are not dead. Remember that? Um, they're still valid. Therefore, we're to grow in our hunger for dependence on the word of God. Um, in any one of those categories, maybe that's a first response. 
I need to grow in the, and grow in my hunger for the word of God. Um, I need to saturate myself with the word so much that I love the wisdom of the world, the, the word, and I, and I hate the wickedness of, of the world. Um, you know, one response in several of those categories could just be, I need to surrender to the king of the word. You know, live, um, the word of God changes our hearts, even though our circumstances may not change. Maybe somebody you work with is in that situation where they just need to surrender to the king. And that would be a response, right? That would be a, a response to the word. Now, in July of 2014, my friend Jeremiah went home to be with the Lord. And uh, he was one of the most, again, pagan people that you would ever meet. And the word of God captured his heart, captured his love, his devotion, and Jesus became his king. And guys, as you leave today, I know I'm, I'm talking to a room full of believers. Um, is Jesus really your king? Or is that a response you need to make today? If you can't confidently answer that tonight, please don't leave without talking to me or to Bruce or to somebody. Yeah, that's probably the most important response you'll ever have in your life. Is Jesus your king? If he's not, please come see us. Guys, thank you so much for your attention, for your interaction. Um, I probably want to get some of y'all's notes so that if I ever share this again, I can just use your applications because they're probably better than mine. And uh, thanks for your attention uh, to the word of God. I greatly appreciate that tonight. Um, Mind if I pray for us and then we can all be dismissed. Dear Lord and God, again, we just thank you so much for your word and the fact that it is, it is sweet, sweeter than honey. Um, and God, thank you that as we spend time with you and your word, our taste, our palates mature uh, so that um, we have a craving for you and your word and really a hatred for everything wicked in every false way. God, help us to discern that. Help us to know your word so well that everything false is easy to tell. It's easy to determine. There's no question. There's no doubt. God, help us to love you. Help us to love your word. Thank you for all of these men. We're all in a different life situation. I have different things going on, and I pray that you would use your word in our lives and our hearts to draw us closer to you so that we can reflect the most glory possible to you because you're so worthy of it. Lord, we praise you and thank you again just for loving us, for calling us to yourself, and for doing just amazing things in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.